What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Kicks and Picks Podcast. We are super excited. It is officially the start of the EPL season. We have a very special double episode for you today as we are going to give you our picks, our locks for the first week of the year in the Premier League and the state of the club with Arsenal featuring Arsenal. So full squad here, Nick, along with Scotty and Coach Steve. I could see... I mean, the back and forth that's been going on this week, the boys are hyped. You're maybe not seeing it in Scotty's face right now. I don't know why that is. That's what I'm looking for. How are we feeling, boys? I'm definitely excited. It was uh, it was a fun time getting back on the, uh, the sportsbook apps and start looking through like game day lines as opposed to just kind of digging through the futures that we could find over the course of the summer. Um, I think, weirdly enough, I'm more optimistic about my picks this week, knowing nothing about what the teams are going to look like in the beginning of the season than I was towards the end of last season where we kind of knew what to expect. And maybe that's just because the books are in the same boat where they're unsure of where to set the lines. And I was able to find some value, but um, you know, I think last year we all started out really hot. I think the first half of our season up until the world cup break, we were easily plus money. I think we were up like 30 units and then we were just kind of holding on the second half of the season still finished plus units, but um, certainly not our, our best finish to a season uh, over the past few years. Um, so maybe that trend will continue. Maybe we'll start out hot and then we just have to find a way to stay hot. Yeah, the, the first week is always tough, right? Because yeah. transfers in and out. You don't know what the lineup's going to look like. I was on Rotowire earlier today as I'm, as I'm trying to handicap these things, like who's, who's starting, who's maybe rumored to leave and might not play and those kind of things. But we did finish up, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, just about 11 units last season, carried by Nick. I'll Throw, throw him a throw him a bone there he was yeah. he was over eight units plus you know so um he he kept us alive as the season went on but yeah it got tougher as the season went on last year as the books Definitely. caught up but we started hot so we'll look to do that again this week i know nick and i are a little bit out of our element without setia but we'll be back next week with that so we'll make it work for this week yeah this is where the fun starts and i, I think um one thing i do want to shout out uh, before we get to our picks, we did not do an EPL Futures episode, uh, but one of our very good friends, uh, guest of the podcast, Andrew Passaro at the Plus Money Pod, did a fantastic Futures episode. You guys can watch it in like 15 minutes. He ran through just about every single future there was available. Uh, we'll link that when we post this. So definitely give it a, a shout because uh, I can speak for myself. I agree with a lot of his future picks. Yeah, and we might have something on for our, our Patreon patrons. I think uh, there's a few that I saw in terms of like goal scorers and, and other player props that we could probably get up there in, in a doc. So if, if you're listening to this on Thursday and you're a Patreon patron, feel free to give us a look over there. We should have something up. And if you're not a Patreon patron, now is the time to subscribe because you're going to have a full season of uh, you know, special props. Uh, we do usually on the on each weekday we will or weekend we'll we'll throw up some of our favorite player props. Um, also some other tidbits that we usually sneak in there throughout the season. All right, let's, let's roll in, man. We're going to start this episode off hat trick of picks right away. I, I'm feeling like it's 10 and 0. So Scotty, why don't you start us with the first winner? Yeah. And I think for me, like I wanted to make sure we have the opening match is going to be Manchester city versus Burnley on Friday afternoon. I th- there's nothing that I enjoy more than watching that first match and, and taking a whole bunch of props. So um, I will start this uh, season off with a pick in that match. I'm going to take Manchester City and Burnley, both teams to score. Right now it's even money. Uh, I'm going to start out by saying this is not your father's Burnley team. Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit last year when uh, Burnley was making their run through the FA Cup. Um, but ever since Vincent company took over this, this team is set up to actually score goals. If you remember Burnley from their previous stints in the premier league, they're very much a defensive first setup. 
Um, they're really rough and tumble. Um, they kind of epitomize that, um, you know, traditional English style defense where there's lots of fouls, lots of, um, you know, play after the whistle, so to speak. Um, but this team in the championship, they led the league in, in goals. They scored 87 goals last season, which is a, a healthy number, no matter what league you're in. Um, I think Vincent company is going to be setting up their team to attack. You know, he's not going to want to back down and play scared against his former club. So uh, I fully expect them to try to actually challenge city in their, their opening match, whether or not that results in a win remains to be seen, probably not, but I still think they can get a goal. Um, and you know, they've also added a bit in, in attack in the, in the window this summer. Um, they've added, uh, Michael Obafemi from Swansea, who I think had, uh, 15 still playing? goals. Um, this is a younger wow. one. This might oh, there's be, more. Uh, yeah, there's other Obafemis, but the, okay. he, he's this one from Swansea. He, he scored, I think, 15 goals in, in, in the championship for, for Swansea last season. Um, they also added a player from Basel, Zeki Amduni. Um, I think he had 20 goals for them last season, um, and that's getting added to uh, Nathan Tella, who had 17 goals for, uh, for Burnley in the championship last season. So plenty of offensive firepower. May not have enough to, to outscore uh, Erling Holland and, and Kevin De Bruyne and, and that connection that we saw so successful last season, but certainly enough to get on the score sheet, I think, in their opening match. All right. I'm going to jump over to France for my first one. Ligue not always the easiest to handicap, but like I said, Coach no worldwide coming in hot week one. I love it. One. Week one. <laughs> Coach one. worldwide does not take any weeks off. Now, most weeks, this would probably be a reach pick. I feel like this week it, it has a pre- pretty decent chance of hitting because it is week one. And like I said, those opening weekend matches always tough to predict those incoming and outgoing transfers. And no team has seen more star power exit than PSG this summer. Messi's now on MLS tearing it up. Mbappe's frozen out of the side. Some move somewhere is going to be happening soon for him. Neymar potentially leaving as well as he's asked to leave. I mean, we could see a whole new starting trio up top for them in this match as they host Lorient. Um, throwing the new center back pairing with Skriniar joining Marquinhos. So they're going to have to find their, you know, communication and, and such there in the back as the, that new center back pairing. Um, and Skriniar didn't play a lot toward the end of last season with Inter. So I don't know if there's any rust to be shaken off there. I think Lorian can keep this close. Uh, in fact, three of their last five matches against PSG would have covered this. They had two one-goal losses and a draw in those five. Um, I'm looking for the host to win for the, most likely, but I, I think uh, they might have a bit of a slow start, and it, it might be a little bit of a struggle for them uh, early on because of all the, the changes. And that's at minus 105. This might be bullshit, but did I also see that like there's questions around whether Luis Enrique is gonna like stick around for the start of the season? I know that there was some like scuttlebutt I can imagine about he's him. probably pissed off with I mean he's losing leaving. like everybody, right? Yeah, I think I think he's losing everybody. I think he has like the the directive to like bench Mbappe if he doesn't extend his contract or something to that. So I, I don't know if that's actually if there's any real uh, legitimacy to that rumor, but at the very least, it kind of speaks to the turmoil that's going on within PSG. And I almost forgot Verratti's not going to be playing most likely because he's got yeah. that Saudi move, um, you know, that's being held up because of the transfer fee. I mean, I mean, there's a lot, a lot going on there. Yeah, it, ah, it's per- definitely perfect not place a, not to strike. Good... Yeah, PSG yeah. usually a, a lock in 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 Ligue 1, but this season that's it's a whole lot. Of and, and they only won the league by one point last year too, so yeah. they could be vulnerable with all these exits. I love it. Fair, fair pick. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to channel my biggest coach worldwide. I can, I'm, I'm using the cheat code because the first pick I give out has to be a winner and I'm going to Spain. Who's also kicking off this week. Real Madrid money line at plus money plus one Oh five at athletic Bilbao. Uh, I don't really 
know how this pick is available. So it's the first thing that stood out to me. We are going to slam it. And this, this kind of typically falls into my, Oh, underdogs first couple weeks trap game. You know, is real going to take it seriously now that that does not apply to real Madrid. They are the, they are the rule here. Real Madrid at plus money automatic bet. There's no thinking involved. This is the best line I think I've seen for the entire opening weekend of, of European football. Yeah, Bilbao's always tough at home, but looking at Real Madrid's projected lineup, it's it's their normal eleven throwing in at the addition of Jude Bellingham. So I, I, I a lot do of not see here. how they don't smoke. Yeah. I, I mean, at the very least, you know, it should be like the traditional seventy fifth minute Real Madrid one nothing two one winner. Do we have props for Vinny Junior anytime goal scorer yet? I did not see it. That may be added to my Patreon. I I will look it up right now as as we roll through the picks. All right. If it's there, you guys get this for free. If it's not there, then you have to check out our Patreon to see that because I'm going to take that as a a prop for this weekend. I don't see. No no player parlays led on draft. All right. So we will. That'll be behind our Patreon paywall uh, if you want that. Um, Moving on. I'm going to stick with England. I'm actually sticking with newly promoted clubs. Um, a trend that I loved last year and I didn't take advantage of it of enough is that these newly promoted clubs in the premier league in their first, first home match, that atmosphere is electric. It's unbelievable. You get that, what I call big game bounce. Um, so there's lots of upsets galore. I didn't feel like taking it with Burnley uh, in the Friday match because Manchester city is a different beast. It's not necessarily worth it, but I will take it here with Sheffield United. Um, they get crystal palace in their home opener Sheffield United draw no bet is plus 115. So that's going to be my lock. You know, last season, I just talked about it. Burnmouth, newly promoted. They won 2-0 versus Villa. Uh, Forest beat West Ham 1-0. And Brentford smacked United 4-0. Um, so there's definitely some, some credence there. Uh, Crystal Palace, we called them last year this, this ultimate Jekyll and Hyde club. You know, some, some weeks they look great. Some weeks they look awful. Uh, this year, they don't have Wilfred Zaha, who was like their man, one of their main guys, you know, on the wings, always scoring goals, especially against some of the tougher clubs. Um, so without him, we'll see how this, this attack shapes out. Um, but for me, uh, Sheffield United, I think they have a, 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 as good of a chance in this opening weekend to, to pull off an upset as any club. Um, so getting them draw no bet at plus money to me is a no brainer. All right. I'm sticking in the premier league with my second one. I'm going with Brighton minus a goal and a half at minus one Oh five. They are hosting uh fellow city on newcomers Lutton town. Um, so they lost McAllister this summer. They're likely losing Moises Casado as well. Uh, He probably won't play in this one as he's awaiting that transfer to Chelsea. Those are big holes to fill. However, I think Brighton and their play style under Roberto Deserbi will be too much to handle for the EPL new boys at the Amex. It's a home match. Uh, I wanted to take team total minus 1.5, but it it wasn't even, there wasn't even any value there. So I I just think taking that minus one and one and a half, I I do think they win this match by two goals. Like you said, Scott, and uh, on those first home matches, they usually get that bounce, those newcomers, but I don't, I don't see them getting that on the road against a team like Brighton. Yeah, usually on the road in the, the first match, it's not the same unless you're playing Liverpool because that usually happens. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, maybe maybe we look for um, uh, their, their Lutton Town's big big game bounce for next week. But their, their stadium, we talked about it, is, is tiny. It is a, yeah. a, a true... Like 13,000 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Is a true blue collar stadium. Um, so that'll be interesting, but you know, lots of, not so, you know, you mentioned the, the outgoings for Brighton coach. I mean, they also have some good incomings as well. I mean, Yao Pedro coming in from, from Watford mm-hmm. provide them some well-needed uh, offensive firepower. 
Um, and I think they picked up from Mahmoud uh, Dahoud, Dortmund, yeah, from yeah. Dortmund just to kind of replace the Alexis McAllister move. So, and also I can't, I'd be remiss if I can't, didn't mention my guy, James Milner, the uh, ultimate Swiss army knife. Um, don't know if he actually plays in this one at 37 years old, but um, certainly a good guy to pull off, off the bench if, if needed. All right. I have to go with Liverpool for my second bat. Uh, Ooh, I, I, I don't do I'll, it. I'll tell you where I landed team total over one and a half. It's at even money at Chelsea. Um, the guys will tell you, I really wanted to slam Liverpool. They're plus one thirty-five on the money line. I, I may still take that bet, um, but I'm not making it my lock here. I will say that Scotty and two friends of the pod, both named Andy, both Liverpool fans uh, kind of talked me down just kind of due to that defensive situation, the lack of a, a defensive midfielder, a little bit of transfer uncertainty still. But to me, that has nothing to do with the fact that they're going to average about three goals a game this year. Uh, I think Chelsea still stink. I think this could be the team total play of the year, and we're only in week one. Liverpool's getting two. Yeah, I think the thing that helps you is Fafana for Chelsea's out. I think he was probably with their one of their most uh, promising center halves. Um, I think Batashiel should still be playing and he's, he's strong. So it'll be up to him really. And him and Reese James to kind of keep Liverpool at bay. My only concern with Liverpool is their midfield really hasn't been fleshed out yet. Yes. They brought in McAllister and they brought in Sobosly, um, who should provide, you know, sparks offensively. But uh, as we saw with Liverpool last season, when they didn't have possession for good chunks of the game, it isolated their forwards and, didn't matter how strong those guys were. And it's the same guys up top, right? You're still going to have Salah and you're still going to have Nunez and um, Diaz and Jota, but, and, and Gakpo. Um, but if, if the midfield doesn't have possession and those guys are isolated, it doesn't really matter how good they are. Two goals. Easy. Maybe yeah, three. I mean, they should, I mean, they really should, but it's, there you go. When Scotty, Mr. Pessimistic Liverpool says that they should score two, they're probably scoring four. I don't know who's more pessimistic on their side, him, him with Liverpool or you with Lazio, because you're so, pretty bad yourself. I will say, I'm, but I am going to bring it back. Liverpool, um, I, I took them, I want to say I took their team total or or the, maybe the over in the game for Liverpool the first week of last season. And I think that was my only losing pick in the first two weeks. I think I was five and one with Liverpool letting me down. So yeah. we have to reverse that trend. Yeah. Or just not learn from our mistakes. No, never. One of the two. Never. All right. Um, so that'll take me into my third and final lock of the weekend. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take Tottenham money line at Brentford. They're plus 135, which is really why I'm taking it. it. It feels like that's a pretty good value for what we can expect from this Tottenham side. Um, yeah, you know, they didn't have the greatest season last year, but Harry Kane should be starting in this one. I don't think his move to Bayern should, um, or potential move that's to Bayern is looks like it's now falling through um, should impact that. Um, and he's looked really good under Ange Postacoglu in, in preseason. He had a hat trick, I think in his last match. Um, so I'd expect him to, to, you know, kind of drag this, this offensive uh, line forward, you know, son should be healthy. I, I think there's a lot that came up about how he was actually injured for much of last season. Um, you know, Kulisevsky is back now as a non-loan player. He's a, a full Tottenham Hotspur through and through. Um, and then you got Richarlison off the bench, probably, um, unless, you know, Poste Glue does something different. Um, so I think they, they've got the ability to score. Um, Brentford won't have uh, Nick's guy, Ivan Tony, suspended for for sports betting. Um, Jose oh, Raya likely on his way to Arsenal. So I don't know if he'll be featuring in this match, um, who was their, their really rock solid goalkeeper last year. So 
Uh, lots of holes to fill for Brentford. They didn't have, they didn't do too much in the summer window. Um, so I, I think they'll probably start the season a little rockier than maybe last season when they came out guns ablaze. And, and like I said, beating Manchester United 4-0. So I'll take Tottenham money line on this one and hopefully they don't burn me to start the season. I do want to say, I think both coach Steve and I like this pick as well. Yeah. Consideration for a lot. Yeah. Anytime the three of us all are, are pretty hot on a single pick, that's usually where it, it starts to get concerning. <laughs> No way. <laughs> All right. For my last one, I'm going to finish it up. Also in the premier league, I'm going Fulham draw no bet at Everton at plus plus one thirty-five. As of now, Fulham really hasn't lost any key contributors from last season. Surprise top hat finishing side. Uh, and at the moment, Alexander Mitrovic is still with the club and projected to start despite the strong links with a big money move to the Saudi league. Um, so until he goes to the Saudi league, this, this club can score goals. I don't buy Everton um, with him up top. I like the Cottagers to get a result on the road with the protection of the draw no bet. So this was like the game, the typical game of where I'm like, oh man, I love it. Like underdog, they're like, what, plus two something on the money line, right, coach? Like plus 230, plus 240, yeah, maybe even better. And I'm looking so. at it. I'm like, oh, this is a good spot. And then I'm uh, I'm looking at it again and I'm saying, what on earth makes Everton like a uh, 150 point favorite. Yeah. So they're Everton's plus 120 and Fulham's plus 230 on the money. Plus 110 favorite. So like it, it, it it scares me like how much I liked Fulham here, but this is like the, I I just like, you have to go with them because that's the rule. But like, uh, what don't we know? What, what do we, uh, I'm missing something. No here that we do not scary. Very scary. Yeah. You're talking about an Everton side that barely survived last year. Story of Everton, man. Good bet to get relegated this year. Yeah, I don't know. So interesting to see what happens with that one. Um, I'm going to go to the the battle of 14 versus 15 for my last pick. We are taking West Ham, draw no bet, minus 120. They're at Bournemouth. Um, Listen, West Ham, kind of a rough year. Turned it on towards the end. Wound up winning the Conference League. Um, you know, they lost a couple of key guys. We're talking about uh, Paqueta might be on his way out. I heard rumored to City. I don't think it's official yet. So I'm, I'm hoping he sticks around and plays this game. But I, I still think they have enough here to get this done. Um, they're plus 160 on the money line if you're feeling a little bit brave. Um, but, you know, the away ties to open up the year, I just think it's a little bit tricky. So I think minus 120 is a, a pretty good value here. Draw no bet. You don't have to lay a whole lot. And um, just praying that West Ham gets off to a better start than they did last year. I, you know, I, I can't, I don't think I can name three players on Bournemouth. So I, I feel pretty good about this one. Well, watch out. Justin Clover's there now, Nick. Oh, even better. Thank you. Can you start? <laughs> he is projected to start. It's going to throw in Dominic Solanke, our, one of our favorite, uh, anytime goal scorer props. And, um, I think is it Bobby Cordova? Is he on Bournemouth? Or am I, am I mistaking him? Is he on Forest? He's on Forest. Proving my point. I knew it was wrong team. I was going to say, I was gonna say I knew the point. he was there. He was my uh, one of my shot on target parlay guys. Uh, but yeah, I think he's on Forest. All right. Well, hey, here, take us to our pod lock of the week. We're going to continue to stay hot with that. And what's what's taking us to ten and zero this week? Well, it's it's going to be one of our our pod lock favorites, which is going to be Newcastle. Team of the pod, Scott. Yeah, it is our team of the pod. Absolutely. It's, Minus 135, um, so a little chalky. They're home, which helps to Villa. Villa, listen, we talked Villa was a as hot of a team to end the la- of the season last year as anybody, so maybe there's some concern there, but listen, Newcastle just brought in Nick's boy, Tenali. Um, 
And I think the midfield is going to be a, a much improved part. I think mean, that the offense last season didn't really struggle much. Um, you know, Almiron is still going to be there. Um, Isak is going to be there. Callum Wilson is going to be there. They did lose uh, St. Maxman, but they brought yeah. in Harvey Barnes. So, you know, a little like for like replacement there. Um, and when we were talking with our guy, Baz, the, the defense last year was a, you know, surprise standout for how little they spent on it. And I think that will likely continue under Eddie Howe. So I think they're, they're going to be as strong of a team as they were last year, probably a bit better, um, especially with the midfield revamping. Um, and, and I think it's a tough challenge for Villa to go on the road and open the season uh, at Newcastle. So I like the money line here. I think Newcastle get a win, start their their Champions League campaign season um, where they'll be uh, fighting on multiple fronts. I think they're going to off on a strong foot here. Yeah, if it wasn't for the Chelsea-Liverpool match, to me, this is the match of the weekend. Um, These are the two feel-good stories from last year, really. Both teams finish in European spots. I mean, Brighton is is in there, too, in that mix. But Newcastle will be interesting to see how they play with expectations now. Last year, there was definitely less expectations on them. Even Villa, to an extent, has more expectations after finishing. I I think they finished in the Conference League spot last year, so that'll add a little bit there. But I, I think these are two good sides. I think it'll be an entertaining match. And... I think this match could be one in the midfield, right? I mean, you have Gamaris, Tonali, and Joe Ellington against Kamara, Luis, and Diaby. I think that could be the key to this match. Both yeah. teams have capable attacks, so there could be goals. And I think that Newcastle defense, now Shar is questionable, but if he plays, their defense is intact. I think that could be the difference. I think their defense is just a little stronger than Villa. And I and think I like overall, the, the, sorry, Scotty, the, the outlook on Newcastle has to be everything they did well last year, but they got to score just a little bit more this year. I feel like more goals are going to come from this team. Yeah, they should. Um, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it with, with Baz, but you know, the, the two headed, you know, beast that is, is Callum Wilson and, and Alexander Isak. I, I don't know that Alexander Isak starts in this one. He might, um, we'll see what Eddie Howe kind of lines up and what the formation he goes with. But even if he doesn't start, I mean, bringing him off the bench and, and having him as like that super sub playing in the last 30 minutes against what could be a, a team that, you know, hasn't had fully conditioned yet with, you know, the beginning of the season in Villa, that defense might get a little leggy and, and that's where kind of Isak could shine. So um, if they, if it is close and they, they have that ability to bring an Isak off the bench, he could be the difference maker. Love it. All right. That's going to wrap up our very first week of the 23, 24 season hat trick of picks. Uh, let's move on to our special guest of the week. Let's bring on Aaron Lerner from the Short Fuse to discuss Arsenal. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the second part of our uh, week one kickoff podcast for the Premier League. Um, this part is going to be state of the club for Arsenal. We are joined by a very special guest. Uh, we have Aaron Lerner joining us. Um podcaster of his own it's the short fuse uh he's going to be an expert in all things gunners um a great season for them last year aaron so i'll start there congratulations i know it didn't quite end the way that i think many fans had kind of hoped if you had asked them back in you know february even as late as march but i think if you look back at as as a whole uh rather successful season rather successful campaign and, and something certainly to build off of um so maybe we'll start there i mean is is that do you share that same optimistic outlook that i kind of have looking back at arsenal season or do you have maybe a, a little bit more of a uh i don't want to say cynical but a a harder harsher view on on how the season went oh absolutely i was uh thrilled with last season for arsenal uh 
if you'd asked anybody at the beginning of the season what they expected or were hoping for from the season, I think any reasonable person would have said, you know, I'd like to get, I'd like to see Arsenal back in the Champions League. Uh, you know, you fast forward and it looked like they had a shot at the title and, you know, that ultimately fell short. And so that sort of taints the view of the season as a whole. But if you take a step back and look back at the preseason expectations, you know, you can't help but be thrilled. You know, when Mikel Arteta joined Arsenal, it was not a quick fix that was needed. Arsenal were in a bad spot. They had a, an old roster, uh, a lot of expensive contracts, not much youth coming through, although they did have Bakayo Saka and Emil Smithelborough waiting in the wings. But it was the tr- the club was trending in the wrong direction uh, and they needed to commit to a more thought out and longer rebuild. And they're, they were ahead of schedule last year. You know, Mikhail Kavitz comes in, starts to turn things around Europa league for a season. Uh, last season, the goal was to get back into the champions league. They were already challenging for the premier league. Uh, and I think that that's what the goal would have been coming into this season is in the Champions League and challenging for the Premier League. So it was, you know, it was found money last year. Um, the one thing I will say is that, you know, Arsenal have never won a European competition and they were, if they had put out their best side in all of their games and, you know, hadn't sort of, I, I wouldn't say given up on the Europa League, but had to take a backseat to their competition in the Premier League, they had a legitimate shot at winning that competition. Uh, and they sort of let that slip by. And unfortunately, um, they played William Saliba in that uh, round of 16 tie with Sporting. He got hurt, and that's where it really started to fall apart. Yeah, and I think one point I kind of want to stress on, you kind of said it, like when Arteta came in, this wasn't like a quick turnaround. It was a a true like rebuild of really a decade of 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 struggle um, within Arsenal. I think, you know, even looking at Wenger's last two or three seasons, um, it, it there was very little positives that you could start to pull away from some of those performances. And like you said, there's a lot of older players, players on big contracts that typically are tougher to move. Um, but I think when, when Arteta came in, um, I remember about a year and a half ago, Nick, we were, we were talking on the podcast about like the January transfer window when that closed who we like to finish in the top four between I think it was Arsenal and Tottenham at the time. Um, and I know you and, and coach, our other podcast hosts were very high in Tottenham because they brought in Conte and you guys are super high on, on Conte, but they were spending money. The one... If you don't forget, I mean, that yeah. was the other reason they were spending a lot of money, <laughs> but I, I was kind of high on Arsenal just because I think what started to happen was you saw that young core. And that's what I always like when I, you know, I, I'm a Liverpool fan. So when I saw, you know, the core forming for Liverpool, like five or six years ago, it kind of gives you that excitement. And you can see that young core starting to form around Martinelli and, and Saka and Smith Rowe and Odegaard at that point. Um, and so I, I kind of called them out to, you know, continue to develop and, and potentially win or not win, but, you know, get into the Champions League at the end of that season. Didn't work out that way, got into Europa. Um, but it is kind of exciting to see it starting to come together. And in this past season, I think, you know, well, there may have been a, a gap here and there, and it may be some lack of depth. Um, you could start to really see a, a, an 11 coming together that could feasibly be competing for probably like the next six or seven years, right? This isn't just like a one or two season type wonder. They're all young. They're all within that like 22 to 25 beautiful age range where 
you know, they'll be able to, to play together for many seasons and, and kind of adapt. So, and to your point about maybe disappointing and missing out on Europa or missing out on winning Europa, I think that's fair. Um, but, you know, like I just said, sometimes it's that depth piece. And, and when you're in these early stages, you have that like top high level play, then you're starting 11, but then the drop-off kind of kicks in. Um, yeah. And, and the drop-off is what killed the drop-off plus injuries is really what killed them down the stretch. Um, yeah. Saliba getting hurt was just a massive difference. They, uh, they surrendered almost, I think like a quarter more goals per game with him out of the lineup than in um, their points percentage dropped off significantly without Saliba. And then you add to that Thomas party picked up a knock or on international duty. And so he wasn't a hundred percent and they didn't have another player in that spot. And, you know, Zinchenko, hurt his calf down the stretch and he wasn't there. So, you know, they, as you said, they had that established 11 and then not all that much beyond that, but it's funny that, uh, or not funny that you mentioned Liverpool, but, but Liverpool is the model that I always point to when I'm talking, when I talk about sort of the bigger picture for Arsenal is that, you know, Manchester city are a monster. They're a juggernaut and to compete with them, you need a plan that stretches beyond just, we're going to buy a couple of good players who are older for this season and really go for it. You need to put together a core that grows together and is built to compete. And if you look at the Arsenal signed a whole bunch of uh, their young guys to contract extensions uh, over the last year, starting last fall and continuing through uh, Bakayo Saka and William Salibo, who were both extended this summer and they all, have their contracts expiring right around 2027, 2028. So they have that, as you said, this core of this team is going to be together for the next four or five years. And I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, it's great. But I can tell you right now, be careful of 2027, 2028. That's where Liverpool are right now. And uh, we're now suddenly without six midfielders and brought in two and still trying to backfill. Um, so <laughs> it's enjoy it while you can, because you always say, oh, 2027, 2028, that's so far off. When it gets there, if the plan hasn't been accounted for it can get kind of painful Um, well and i sort of sorry i was gonna say i I sort of have a renewed or a newfound sympathy for for liverpool and their supporters because you they did it the right liverpool did it the right way they built a great team you look at the points that liverpool were putting up their seasons they finished second to manchester city you look what you look what arsenal did this season finishing second to manchester city you know those teams should be winning the league yep. and you know it's just because they have this juggernaut ahead of them that they're not yeah 95 points used to be good enough to win you the league 99.9 percent <laughs> of the time now it's yeah. like it's a coin toss if you can win it um so i know we're talking about you know the positives and, and maybe there's some some players that we we haven't really discussed you know that maybe quite didn't perform to expectations last season or or maybe you're looking for like a, a significant rebound or improvement this season um, are there any players that come to mind when you're kind of reviewing how they performed last season compared to to expectations? Yeah, two guys jumped to mind. Uh, the first is Emil Smith Rowe. Um, two years ago, he was Arsenal's second leading Premier League goal scorer. He scored ten goals, which was second to Bukayo Saka, um, and he was excellent. Um, you know, looked to be trending in the same direction uh, as a blossoming young star that you know, you saw with Odegaard that you saw with Saka last year was just a lost season for him. He had a 
I think it was a sports hernia, but it was some sort of hip problem at the beginning of the year that kept him out. And then they decided to do surgery. And so that kept him out even longer. He came back, started to get, uh, you know, some minutes and then got hurt again. He just couldn't stay healthy, couldn't find his form. And so he really had a lost season. Um, we joke in Arsenal parts about like a new signing because it was something that Arsene Wenger used to talk about, but he will be like a new signing because they basically didn't have him last year. And he's a really good young player. I mean, he just won the under 21 euros with England. Um, another guy that jumps out is uh, Fabio Vieira. Uh, he arrived with a good deal of sort of hype around his skill on the ball, but um, he picked up a foot injury two summers ago or the summer that he came to Arsenal. And so he missed basically all of preseason, which sort of slowed his integration into Arteta's system and into the team. And then he kind of struggled with the the pace and physicality of the Premier League because he's a pretty small guy. Um, But he showed, you know, flashes of brilliance. He can really pick a pass. Uh, He's an excellent ball striker. Um, So He's been getting plenty of time in the preseason too. It seems as though Mikel Arteta trusts him, which is a big thing with Arteta because there are guys on the roster that it becomes pretty clear that he doesn't trust. And so they basically don't get any time. It seems like Vieira is a guy that he trusts and he wants him to develop and he's going to be a little bit bigger in the rotation. So uh, if you're, if you want sort of a kind of a dark horse player to break out from Arsenal this year, it, it would be Fabio Vieira for me. So one thing that's impressing, impressive, excuse me, um, I think, you know, you mentioned Liverpool doing things the right way currently. Um, you know, we could make a really great argument for Arsenal doing that over decades, right? So when Wenger was in charge, they had this culture, everybody bought in. You know, he was the guy that was going to lead this squad. The board bought in, the transfers were to his liking, the players all performed Are we seeing that as kind of like a 2.0 right now? Um, you know, you mentioned ahead of schedule is Arteta that guy is he going to be the next one that's here for 10 plus years um and I'll ask you before I give my thoughts I I hope so uh to the extent that any manager in the modern Modern, football can stay somewhere for 10 years Arteta has as good a chance as any um my concern is that you know Barcelona or maybe Real Madrid, one of the Spanish sides might tempt him away in a few years. Um, But yeah, he, you can't help but be impressed with what they've accomplished um, at least in terms of a improvement in the quality of play on the pitch in he and Edu's plan to rebuild the roster with youth. Uh, Two years ago, they were the youngest average starting lineup in the premier league last year, Southampton, beat him out by just a little bit. So they were the second youngest. I wouldn't be surprised if they were among the youngest again this year, just because they added young players still and their core uh, or their starting 11 dropped Granite Jaka, who was a older guy who was sort of pulling that average up. So, uh, you know, uh, Arteta has done great things. I think one of the places where some might have some legitimate criticism is Arteta of Arteta is translating that improvement on the pitch into tangible results. You know, I don't think that Arsenal bottled it down the stretch last year, but there are plenty of people who, you know, 
accuse him of, of, you know, really kind of screwing it up that they were in the driver's seat and then they sort of deteriorated down the stretch. He's only won one piece of silverware, well, two community shields, but you know, two, sir, two community shields. Plus he won the FA cup in the weird COVID summer. Um, but, you know, I think that a lot of people who put more stock in your silverware return than I do uh, would point to that as another sort of potential issue with him. But I think that he's a fantastic manager. I think what he's done is great. And at the risk of going on too long, I think the big one of the biggest things is the way that he and the club have rebuilt the connection with their supporters. You look back at the the Unai Emery interval between Wenger and where we are now, uh, and the the lasting image is Granite Xhaka walking off the pitch at the Emirates, being booed off, flipping the bird to the fans, and telling people to f off. Arteta comes in, personally convinces Xhaka to stay, and then in Xhaka's last match uh, at Arsenal, at the end of last season. He scores a brace and the Emirates supporters are singing Granite Xhaka, we want you to stay. You know, they are building something special, both with the young roster and then also with reforging a real connection between the fans and the team that had really gotten incredibly toxic uh, coming out of the Wenger years and through that Unai Emery time. Yeah, I think uh, that's actually maybe a, a good transition. Um, so we're at a pretty good point, it seems, in terms of Arteta's kind of turnaround of Arsenal and, and where they are now. Um, moving into next season, do you see any significant gaps or did were there any significant gaps that needed to be filled? Obviously, Zaka moving on. Um, and, and how do you think Arsenal has addressed them so far in the in the summer transfer window? I think they've had a great uh, a great summer. And I'll spin back to, to Liverpool's squad building because the way I see it, they built the core, they had the pieces in place, and then they took their big swing with yeah. their you know record-breaking transfer for Virgil van Dijk. And he was the guy that put them finally over the hump. Maybe Declan Rice, hopeful for me, I hope Declan Rice is that piece for Arsenal. You know, he's the record British transfer, 100 million plus 5 million in add-ons. And he was at a position of critical need for Arsenal. Um, you know, that that sixth spot. Uh, although it looks like right now he might start the season more of a hybrid six-eight role. But you know, he's their big swing and he's gonna be the number six for years to come because Thomas Party, while excellent when in form, uh has some other issues uh that he's dealing with, <laughs> and then you know, is also uh, on the wrong side of 30 and has shown that he's breaks down physically down the stretch. That was a huge get for them. Uh, Kai Havertz will be the sort of closest like for like replacement for Granite Xhaka in that advanced left eight role. I'm excited about it. I think he's a really good player who just, you know, because of Chelsea's other issues, because he was maybe being used out of position, hasn't yeah. really been unlocked. And I think that Arteta might be able to, to get something more out of him. Um, Yurian Timber looks like he's going to be incredible. Um, I thought that he was, you know, coming in to sort of back up on the right side. The last few games of the preseason, he's actually been in the Zinchenko role and has been really good in it. Um, maybe not quite 
as talented on the ball, or they're still very good on the ball, but with a little bit more defensive acumen. Um, I would say if there was one gap remaining, uh, it's another attacker, specifically somebody to back up Bakayo Saka because he played, actually, I think the last two seasons, he played every Premier League game. And at some point, especially with how he gets fouled, similar to, you know, guys like Mo Salah getting just the snot knocked out of him by defenders because that's the only way you can stop him. Uh, at some point, he's going to break down or just need a rest. And so that's the biggest uh, remaining gap. So it's so interesting. Um, you mentioned Havertz. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at Rice. You paid a lot of money for these guys, but you know what? If they fit in, if they perform, no one's going to remember. No one's going to care, right? It's going to look the number will be an afterthought. And and I think you're spot on with Havertz. He, he's one of those guys where I almost feel like you can't really quantify what he does on the pitch, but if you watch him, you know that there's something there. And, and could this change of scenery be exactly what he needs to really explode? He's big too. He's six, three. Right. I didn't, I didn't realize that until I was you know watching Arsenal more closely. And I guess watching him around the Arsenal attackers too, because Saka and Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus are all kind of short. Yeah. So he stands out, you know, standing near those guys. But he also, you know, that height and his, you know, his talent at sort of those late arriving runs gives Arsenal another dimension. You see a lot of, you know, trying to work it down towards the touchline and then cut it back. But when you, ha- when, you know, Gabriel Jesus and diminutive wingers are the guys you're aiming at, those cutbacks have to be on the ground. You know, Kai Havertz with a late arriving run gives our Arsenal sort of an aerial option for those as well. So, yeah, I think that he's I think that he could be another one of those guys that has a big season and people are going, oh, where did that come from? I think uh, one of the pieces we talked about that Arsenal kind of missing was that depth. And you mentioned that maybe a backup for Saka was missing. We also see that there's going to be some outgoings as well. Um, So Matt Turner out uh, probably bringing in. David Riot seems uh, tyranny mentioned is, is potentially going out. And then we also have a uh, U.S. player, uh, Balogun, Florian Balogun, and then uh, Nicholas Pepe, who was maybe the biggest flop for Arsenal in, in the past five to seven years. Uh, I don't know if you can come up with a bigger one, but no, um, he is. Yeah. It, do you feel like that's kind of still going to be a, an, an issue that could Arsenal could face this season if, if you know, the current incomings that you have, the ones that we've listed so far are the ones that are, that are it for the season. Depth. I think they're, I think they're pretty well set other than that attacker spot. And yeah, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for the podcast. And I think that the hope is probably that Reese Nelson who came through the Arsenal Academy and scored the, you know, that big time at the death goal, last season that that he is maybe the backup in that spot. He has not really proven himself in anything other than substitute appearances, but I think that maybe he slots in there. But other than that, I think the Arsenal depth is pretty good. You, you mentioned Ballag, you mentioned Pepe uh, and Kieran Tierney to a lesser extent. The Arsenal squad is still a little bloated. Um, I think I saw the, today that they have something like 30 first team players right now they have to trim that number down um sounds some to liverpool because i think we're at 22 <laughs> uh we don't have very many midfielders to spare that's that seems uh, that's okay 
that's might fair. not be all that interesting. <laughs> um, so Kieran Tierney is, is pretty far down the death chart at left back. Um, he has Zinchenko. He has apparently Yuri and Timber. Uh, Jakob Kirior last season, who came in at the January deadline, has gotten time there in the preseason ahead of him. Uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu has played some left mm-hmm. back. So, uh, you know, he's a really good player and I love him. The Arsenal fans really love him. But uh, there doesn't really seem to be all that many minutes for him. So he's a guy that that might be on the way out. Um, Balligan is going to be sold. It's just a question of where to. Um, he didn't participate in the Arsenal media day. So you, you look through the, the uh, image services, you know, to, to put on the header, little inside baseball here, uh, image services to put through uh, for headers for our posts. And you just type in, you know, whatever player you want. Every name comes up, you know, with your kind of standard stock photos, the guys touching the badge, all of that. Balogun didn't take any of those in Arsenal kits, which is a pretty big sign to me that, you know, he's going to be sold. Uh, it looks like it'll come down to a, a bidding war, hopefully for Arsenal's sake, between Monaco and Inter Milan. Uh, Nicola Pepe, they're either going to sell him for pennies on the dollar or mutually agree to terminate his contract. Uh, you know, that was that was just a miss. Uh, it was a transfer that might have been a bit too influenced by agent connections and friendships and uh, people looking to line uh, their own pockets in the deal. Um, of course, that's all just the scuttlebutt. None of that is confirmed, but uh, there was something very wrong with that price tag. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to Arsenal because it's still 72 million out the window and hardly any of it or any, none of it recouped, but you know, you just got to write it off. Terrible, terrible transfer, huge flop. We move on. Yeah. I think uh, maybe we'll wrap up some of the summer talk. And I, I, it's a question I've kind of wanted to ask an, uh, an Arsenal supporter for a while. Um, so I think you're going to be the guy that gets to answer it for me. For the last decade, you know, Cronky out has been this like rallying call for, for Arsenal fans online, you know, outside the stadium, inside the stadium at certain points, it's during some of the low points has that started to die down now with, with the success that you guys have been seeing with Arteta and with some of the investment that, you know, you're starting to see, especially with some of the guys we mentioned, you know, Declan Rice and um, Kai Havertz coming in for pretty significant sums. Or do you think there's still an underlying level of distrust between the Arsenal supporters and the ownership group? I think that those have died down pretty significantly, almost entirely. One of the things that I'll point to is, I think it was about five years ago, but I might not be totally correct on the timeline. Uh, the Crunkies the consolidated their shares and took basically all of the remaining shares and bought a bunch of the outlying shares. And so they became basically entire owners of the club in its entirety. And since then, there has been significant investment year upon year. I think that I can't believe that I'm saying this because I'm not a big fan of any you know billionaire sports team owners, but I think that they actually got a little bit of a bad rap. You know, the the struggles uh, that the club went through um, and the apparent lack of investment came during a time when they weren't 
full owners of the club when there was sort of this power struggle between them and other owners. There was a power struggle between Arsene Wenger and people, various people who were in some capacity or other directors of football. So they had a lot of different people. Arsenal as a club had a lot of different people pulling in a bunch of different directions. And that all got laid at the feet of the owners. And I guess that the buck stops here with an owner. But once everything sort of got consolidated and sorted out, they brought in Edu, they brought in Mikel Arteta, there's a coherent plan, everything's, you know, proceeding according to that plan. It's, you know, the the crunky out thing has really stopped. And I think there might be something to, you know, you look at the the Crunkies other pro, pro, sports properties, you know, yeah. they won the Super Bowl. Successful, to say they the least. <laughs> they won the they won the they won the Stanley Cup with the Avalanche, they won the NBA with the Nuggets. You know, I think that success breeds success. I think that I I can only speak how speak to how it would feel for me. But, you know, if I were a sports team owner and my team started winning, I I think that would feel pretty good. And you would want more of that. And so you would, you know, do what it takes to get more of that. And I think that Arsenal might be, you know, reaping the rewards there that, you know, they realize, oh, hey, this winning titles thing is pretty sweet. Let's try and do it at Arsenal too. Yeah, I think um, maybe there's a, an empty spot in the trophy cabinet for, for something from, from Arsenal. So maybe, maybe that's how we can kind of get into our, our next season preview. Um, looking ahead at the the upcoming campaign, you know, what are your expectations for, for what Arsenal can potentially achieve? Do you think that, you know, they're next in the, in the trophy winning Cronky sports franchises? <sighs> I'd really love to say that I do think they are next and they probably are next at least in terms of Kroenke's properties but I don't think that they're the favorites in any of the competitions that they're in you know we talked a little bit earlier uh about Manchester City being a juggernaut and the Premier League is theirs to lose um they're the best team they have the most resources you know they've done it three years running now they know what it takes to win and so their favorites. I actually saw Opta ran, I don't know, 10,000 or a hundred thousand simulations. Manchester city won the premier league 90% of the time of their yeah. simulations. And, you know, maybe their numbers are a little off. Maybe they're weighting some things a little bit too heavily, but like that's, that's what Arsenal and Liverpool and the other clubs are dealing with. It's that level of, of disparity. Could they win the premier league? Sure, they almost did last year until you know they were derailed by some injuries and fatigue. Um, you know, it, it might sound a little crazy, but I actually think that Arsenal have a better chance to win the Champions League than they do the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not necess- games and exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a knockout competition. You don't have to be better than Manchester City. Thir- you know, thirty-eight match weeks. You got to beat them, you know, if you draw them in a regular line, you got to beat them twice or once and draw them. Or if you draw them in the final, you got to beat them once. You know, you don't have to be the best team in the competition. You just have to be the best team on the right day. Uh, And last year, before they sort of wilted and withered down the stretch, Arsenal's underlying numbers had them anywhere uh, from five to ten in terms of teams and, you know, the best teams in all of Europe. So, you know, there's no reason why if a team, you know, with that kind of quality, they should, you know, they have enough quality that if they catch lightning in a bottle, you know, 
they play well on the right days that, you know, that that's what they do. Now I'm, I'm not saying that I expect them to win the champions league. I think my expectations for the champions league are for Arsenal to get out of their group and, you know, maybe win a knockout tie or two. And then, you know, who knows, because at that point you got all how everybody left is really good and it's a crapshoot, but you know, that's sort of where I see it. Maybe they win an FA cup, you know, that's kind of. Yeah. Well, let's say, you know, how do you think, you know, Arteta will prioritize rotation amongst, especially if you go, I mean, if we're, if you're going premier league and champions league, you're talking like 55 plus matches across just those two, not counting the the domestic cups, obviously domestic cups, you'll probably see more rotation, more of the younger players get in, but you know, if push came to shove, do you think Arteta's prioritizing champions league? Or do you think he's going to prioritize premier league? If we're getting to a point like in April next year, where, um, Arsenal find themselves doing, you know, exceedingly well in both competitions. I think he would probably try to win both at that point. I don't think that he would sacrifice one for the sake of the other. And I think that if Arsenal are healthy, they may finally have enough depth to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that the concept of rotation is a little over, gets a little overblown in sort of the the public online discourse. You know, you look at the actual numbers of how many matches the top players from say a Manchester City or a Liverpool play when they make deep runs in the Premier League challenging for the title and the Champions League. They're playing most of those match, you know, the Mo Salas, the Jack Grealish's, the Erling Hollands, for Arsenal the Bakayo Saka's, they're playing all of those games. You know, it's not a question of oh do you sit Bakayo Saka for a Champions League semifinal so that he's fresh for the weekend in the Premier League. No, you you play him in both if you need him in both. You know, maybe if you're playing somebody weaker in the Premier League, you can maybe get him 60 minutes of rest in the Premier League or whatever, but, you know, they play in both of those. Yeah, I think the extra substitutions will help too. Um, I think that's common. That's been a common issue. And, And speaking from a Liverpool fan's experience, you know, We've seen it with players like Mo Salah, where they go to AFCON and they play every minute of every comp of every match for their club. Um, and in the most recent AFCON, I think Salah had two out of his three knockout round matches went to extra time. So he's playing 120 minutes plus pens. When he came back, he was a different player. He was definitely like, you could tell he was a little bit off pace. And in, for Salah, his pace is, is 90% of, you know, what makes him extraordinary. Um, and, and he suffered from it. Like we, I think he had like, you know, three or four goals in the second half of that season in the league because he just didn't quite have that extra level. So I think the rotation piece maybe isn't so much, Hey, we're not going to play this player for the full game. It's more so like, Hey, we're going to, you know, either sub him on in the second half or he's only going to play 60 and we'll rotate that way. Yeah. Well, and that's where the added depth both this summer and the previous summer, that's why I circle back to guys like Fabio Vieira and Emil Smith Rowe. They're going, if Arsenal really are going to make a deep run in the Champions League and challenge for the Premier League, or maybe, you know, play deep into the FA Cup, they're going to need those guys to step up and have, you know, impactful seasons because those guys are going to have to take more minutes and more meaningful minutes off the plates of, you know, the first 11. And it kind of, you know, there used to be the term super sub. And I think that used to be something where like every once in a while you would have a team where you're bringing in, 
you know, this player that can have a 20 goals, you know, season, but he's coming in off the bench because there's another player in front of him that can do 25 goals a season. But I think that's more common now. Like Liverpool have Diego Jota, who's probably not going to be starting in the front three in any of the matches, but certainly could be in, in most squads would, would be, um, but it's pretty common to kind of rotate him in that way where, yeah, you're resting your starters legs, but also you've got a guy that has completely fresh legs running against a defense. That's just played an hour against, you know, chasing Mo Salah and Luis Diaz and, and similar for Arsenal, right? They're gonna be chasing Martinelli and Saka. So having someone like Reese Nelson or um, Eddie Leo Trossard or, or Leo Leander Trossard, Trossard who had a great, uh, we sort of gl- glossed over the point where I was going to mention uh, Leo Trossard earlier, but he was an unbelievable addition. You know, yeah. Arsenal sort of missed out on Mikhailo Mudrik and everybody was really bummed because that was going to be a big money, you know, flashy move. They got Leo Trossard instead, and you know he scored six or seven goals for Arsenal and added the same number of assists in half a season. He was excellent. He's going to be one of the super subs for Arsenal this year. Yeah. So like the sub becomes less about saving legs of the starter, and just as much about maybe there's like a strategical shift that the manager is trying to to make in terms of hey, we saw that this this defensive lineup has a gap here, and we can exploit it with fresh legs with player A, B, or C. Yeah, and that sort of leads me into another thing that I think was one of Arsenal's goals this summer. And you've seen it in the preseason. Mikel Arteta has been trying a bunch of different guys in different spots. Uh, Kai Havertz playing the left eight. Declan Rice played the left eight against Manchester City. Uh, I think Arsenal kind of got solved last season. Uh, they played one way. You know, They had Zinchenko inverting from the left back. They built up in the same ways with Martinelli and Saka trying to get around the outside. Ben White overlapping on the right side. Gabriel Jesus maybe sort of checking, turning, and spinning. Uh, they became a little formulaic in how they attacked. Even though the attack had improved greatly, uh, they really only had sort of a limited number of ways in which they could beat you. And I think that sort of getting at what you just said, one of the things they're trying to do this season is become more variable, uh, if you'll sort of borrow a term from other sports. They're, they're trying to find more ways to break down defenses, more ways that they can beat you, perhaps have more players in the rotation so that just as you said, they can target a specific weakness, say, you know, Gabriel Martinelli isn't necessarily the best guy to attack the right side of a specific defense. Okay. Well, they have Trossard who wants to play a little bit more inside compared to Martinelli's width and they can exploit a weakness like that. So I think that that has been a big effort. Now the flip side of that, unfortunately, is I'm not sure that Arsenal are going to get off the sort of the rip roaring red hot start that they got, that they had mm-hmm. last year, because I'm not sure that the, the first 11 is necessarily set. Uh, they've been trying all the downside of all of these experiments is, you know, you try something and sometimes it doesn't work. It might help you down the road because they either got experience playing in those positions with each other. So the next time they do it, they're better or you know what you can't try down the road because it doesn't work, but Arsenal may have, you know, may draw a match that they should have won or may drop, maybe drop points early in the season because things aren't as settled as they were last year. Yeah. Uh, happens all the time to Liverpool. <laughs> um, awesome. So let's wrap up. Um, before we go, we, we have one segment we like to do on the podcast. We just call it buy or sell. Um, so we have, three uh statements that we'll make and you can tell us if you're buying those statements or if you want to sell them so 
the first statement we have, will Arsenal finish as the top club in London yet again this season? That is an easy buy. I think that Chelsea will be dramatically improved because I think mm-hmm. Pochettino is a good manager and I think he'll sort it out. But I think that you know Arsenal are ahead of Chelsea in the development and I think the top number going in the wrong direction. Interesting. Um, so yeah, easy buy on that one for me. Yeah, I agree. I think weirdly enough, I'm, I'm kind of high on Pochettino at Chelsea. Um, it's not quite the same structure as he had at Spurs where he was kind of, I think, overachieving. Um, it's not quite the same as PSG either. It's a little in between, but I think, or not Chelsea at a PSG. Um, but I think, you know, he, he definitely has uh, the ability to kind of turn them around, but just not in a one season type thing, no matter how much they spend. Yeah. Well, and the other uh, so thing is they, they have so many players. He's going to spend, you know, a quarter of the season, maybe even half the season sort of figuring out what he's got with all of those yeah. guys in all those spots. So, yeah. All right. Um, next one, 50 plus goals combined by Saka, Jesus and Martinelli in just the premier league. So I think last season they combined for 40, but Jesus had that injury that some miss a, a healthy chunk of the season. If all three stay healthy, do you see them eclipsing that 50 goal mark? I'm actually going to sell that because I think that Arsenal's scoring is going to be even more distributed uh, among different players. So last year, Arsenal had four players score double-digit goals. The three that you mentioned, plus Martin Odegaard got 15. Um, I actually just wrote this uh, today, my sort of bold prediction for Arsenal is that they're going to have six double-digit goal scorers. Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Gabriel Jesus, Leandro Trossard, who had eight goals last season, and Kai Havertz. I'm I'm buying buying the Kai Havertz hype. Uh, so I think that, that the three that you mentioned, Saka, Gabriel Jesus, and Gabriel Martinelli, won't get to 50 on their own just because other guys are going to take their goals. But those six together are going to get to 60, so... Okay. Not buying exactly what you were selling, but yeah. giving you, giving you. Well, There's a reason. I'll why. put it. I'll, I'll turn it's it. It's not back a pessimistic. To you. It's not a pessimistic sell. Um, I'll turn it back to you. Are you going to buy buy or sell my six guys with double digit goals? So I, I what I'm trying to do is I, I think I think Jesus and Saka are can probably get to forty combined. I think that's probably realistic. Will it be? My question is Martinelli because I th- I feel like Martinelli does a lot more distribution too compared to those other guys. Um, so I, I think if Martinelli can get 12 to 15, I think they'll do it. Because um, I really do think that you'll see Jesus and, and Saka. Because it, it kind of reminds me of when Firmino and Mane and Salah were, were all kind of running through. I know you guys have a little mm-hmm. bit more depth behind, but um, I can see them getting to that 50. If, if, if Martinelli can get to like 12 to 15, I think it's, it's definitely achievable. I, I definitely think Martinelli will. I think that Martinelli actually flies under a lot of people's radar because – Bakayo Saka, who is a bona fide superstar at this point, yeah. uh, is on the opposite wing. You know, Gabriel Jesus with the big name, Martin Odegaard putting in 15. I think Martinelli flies under the radar and he's really good in his own right yeah. too. So, uh, you know, that's, an, that's another guy. I mentioned Dark Horse's guy. I think that's to the extent that a guy who, you know, had the season that he did could even be a Dark Horse. But I think that he is maybe not getting his due and that he could have a real big year and people look back and say, Wow, we were actually kind of sleeping on that guy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not ability that I think will will limit him, right? I think it's just yeah. you know, like you said, where the opportunities come from because yeah. they have so much talent elsewhere. All right, last one. We'll go into Champions League. Arsenal making their long-awaited return, um, or maybe not so long, depending on 
your perspective. Um, do you buy that they will win their group in the Champions League group stage? I will reluctantly buy that one. I, you know, not having seen the draw, it's always tough because they could draw one well, of which the... pot are they in? Are they in pot three? They're in pot two. Oh, they are in pot two. Yeah, so they're in pot okay, two. that's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good the results, then. the results in uh the other leagues broke favorably down the stretch. There was a question whether they would be in two or three, but the way that it worked out with um I think Italy impacted it and Spain impacted it, maybe. Mm-hmm. However, it was, however, it broke down the stretch, it broke favorably, and Arsenal wound up in pot two. You know, you could draw into a group with like Real Madrid, and it would be uh it would not be a smart bet to put money on Arsenal winning a Champions League group with Real Madrid in it. Um some of the other teams in pot one, absolutely. So, you know, maybe they do get in Real Madrid and they split with them and somehow manage to win the group. So yeah, reluctant by, yeah, with the caveat that <laughs> I'm not sure that they can top one of the, you know, the real blue blood clubs. Yeah, as long the as they stage. can avoid like a, a real. I mean, obviously they're gonna avoid anyone from England. So I think that helps. Yeah. I think it's it you're looking at Spain. I think they'll beat anybody from Italy. Um, you know, I don't think Napoli will be that strong this year. Um, you know, looking at some of the Milan clubs, I think Arsenal can can come out on top of those guys. So yeah, and, and Bayern could be down. Yeah, Bayern will be you down. Still, you still I mean, if you had your choice, you'd rather avoid Bayern than get there, sure. I think. Sure. But I, I think Arsenal would, would be able to come out on top on that. Um, awesome. All right. Well, that wraps up uh, by ourselves. That wraps up this episode. Aaron, thank you so much for joining. Can you remind our listeners one more time where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm at Aaron C. Lerner on Twitter, uh, also, or X, I guess now. Um, yeah. And also, uh, I do most of the tweeting for um, at, uh, at the short fuse as well. And then obviously, uh, the short fuse.com. That's where all of my Arsenal stuff goes and that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, best of luck this season. Um, we'll be keeping our eyes on Arsenal. I think there's going to be a, a lot of favorable picks on our side uh, in favor of Arsenal. Um, so yeah, that will wrap up uh, this week's episode. Hope everyone has a, a great week watching uh, the opening weekend of Premier League. Um, we'll be back again next week, recapping the weekend and starting to preview some of those matches then. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Um, But until then, we'll talk to you guys next week.